Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. As we stand, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your help now. We pray that in each of us here tonight, you would give us a hunger and thirst to hear you and to know you and to love you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please do sit down. As you sit down, if you could be turning back to the, uh, uh, the second of those passages we had read to us, page 970 in the Church Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 6. There's also a, a handout in amongst the papers you were given on the way in. Now, uh, Catherine and I love reading books about marriage, uh, which may be, it may be because marriage is much easier to read about uh, than it is to do. Uh, but sometimes it's been a very helpful thing to do together, uh, as with this book, which we read uh, not so long ago, uh, called uh, What Did You Expect by Paul Tripp. Um, and I have to admit that reading this book does feel a little bit like uh, being knocked flat on your face by a sledgehammer. It's that kind of experience. It's a, a brutally honest book about some of the difficulties of ma- marriage. But in being brutally honest about that, it is actually, in many ways, a compassionate book. Uh, so take this example. This is a couple that Paul Tripp calls Will and Krista. Will and Krista seemed to take their relationship for granted. No, they weren't mean to one another, but there was something missing. Their marriage seemed more like a location where both of them lived, rather than an investment that both of them were making. Now, that's a very useful thing for me to read, because I think when I read something like that, well, I've been there. In fact, I go... There, uh, go back there way too often. Indeed, many of us will know how easy it is to assume that a relationship is fine while at the same time starving it of care and attention. And that is a very dangerous place to be and it's worth waking up to. But what I hope we're going to see tonight is that there is a more dangerous place even than that. And you see, if that's dangerous... How much more is it dangerous to think that my relationship with my Heavenly Father is fine while at the same time starving it of care and attention? And that's a relationship that Jesus turns to uh, next and focuses on in the Sermon on the Mount, bringing us to ask the hard questions tonight as we go into chapter 6 of the sermon. Has our Christianity become merely a location where we live? rather than an investment of love? Has our Christianity become merely play-acting, with nothing really at its heart? Uh, But if those questions convict you, as they do me, you've come to the right place tonight, because tonight we're going to listen to Jesus teaching us how to relate to our Heavenly Father. But before we jump into what Jesus says here, I want to keep reminding you week on week of the bigger context of the Sermon on the Mount. We read the Sermon on the Mount, I've been saying in these weeks, as if we're with the disciples, not really on this mountain, but on the mountain that's at the other end of the Gospel, in Matthew chapter 28. 
Because it's at that point in the story that this kind of teaching, this teaching starts to make sense. This is, that's the point at which this teaching, if you like, kicks into action. As the disciples are sent out by Jesus to make disciples in all the nations, teaching everything that Jesus has commanded. Because that's when the one knowing that they desperately need to be served, as in the, the first four of those Beatitudes we just read, that's when such a person has been served by Jesus and his death and resurrection. That person has had their sins forgiven, drawn into God's family, have been drawn into an enduring covenant, a covenant of salt. What's more, that's when the person eagerly willing to serve, as in the the second of the four Beatitudes that we just read, that's when that person has been sent out to serve as light to the world. And as we've listened to Jesus uh, teaching us over these last weeks, we've already been well instructed in in many ways, well instructed in chapter 5 on how to do uh, that last part, to be lights of the world, how to do chapter 5 verse 16, to let our light shine before others, that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. But as we move into chapter 6 this week, uh, Jesus now turns to some areas of discipleship uh, which, uh, in contrast, shouldn't be seen. So this is chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That is, we could read it like this. Jesus says, be careful not to express your relationship with God in front of others with the intent of being seen by them. With that purpose, says Jesus. That is, disciples of Jesus are not to wear t-shirts with look at me blazoned all across the front of them. Rather, disciples of Jesus, figuratively this is, you don't have to do this in practice, wear t-shirts with the slogan, rather, look at my Father. Look at my wonderful, glorious Father. But if that's not to be an empty slogan, then behind it should lie a heart that depends upon our Father utterly and longs to relate to him deeply. And that's the new direction that Jesus' teaching is going to take us from this point onwards. If chapter 5 was telling us about how to be light in the world, then this new section is teaching us, if you like, how to keep salty, maintaining and deepening our covenant relationship with God, our our family relationship with our Father in heaven. And uh, you can see that Jesus is beginning with three areas of discipleship, giving, prayer, and fasting. Now, when we had this uh, read to us earlier, I hope you noticed a a repeated pattern in what Jesus says. In each area, he says something like this. He says, when you do this thing, whatever it is, do not be like the hypocrites. To be seen, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you do it, do it in secret. And your Father who is unseen and sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, quick, three quick things to explain in that. Uh, first of all, a hypocrite is simply a play actor. A play actor. A hypocrite may be, I guess, consciously, self-consciously putting on an act. That's one possibility. Or on the other hand, they may be self-deceived. They may not be aware themselves, really, that they're doing it. But whether the the hypocrite thinks themselves sincere or not, I think we can say that their sincerity, their authenticity is paper thin. And what they do in the end is 
a sort of ridiculous show. And Jesus is going to expose that for us tonight. Second thing, Jesus says that the hypocrites have received their reward in full. While his disciples should do what brings a reward from their father. But when we hear that word reward, we shouldn't get the wrong idea. We shouldn't automatically think of brownie points or merit stars or reward points or bonus schemes or school prize giving day. The reward here is quite simply our father's approval, our father's blessing. And if you want the small print on that, look back to the Beatitudes that we read earlier. Uh, That's what it means to be rewarded by God, blessed by God and of his kingdom, looking forward to all that that means in the future. And that is not a selfish thing to want. God's approval is not a selfish thing to want. It's a wonderful thing to want. There would be something very twisted about us, I think, if we didn't want it. Uh, Third thing, Jesus says each time uh, with these things that the way to avoid hypocrisy in practice is to do all of these things in secret. If you do it in secret, there's there's no danger of doing it all for show. There's no danger of play acting. If you're doing these things in secret, it doesn't make sense if you you don't have a, a true relationship with your father. But if you do have a true relationship with your father then yes, it does make sense, and you can do it. So if you do it in secret, then that will be indeed, indeed be a deep expression of your belief in your Father and your relationship with him. And that, I think, is the, is the big thing that I, I want to emphasize this evening, the, the pursuit of an authentic, vibrant relationship with our Father in heaven. Uh, I think we can summarize what Jesus is saying, something like this. Pursue a real relationship with your Father. Not a pretense, which seeks the approval of others, but a private relationship, a secret relationship, seeking his approval alone. And how should we do that? Well, it's all surprisingly practical. First, let's begin with your giving, says Jesus. Pursue a real relationship with your Father, says Jesus, through giving. Not in public, Seeking the approval of others, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, says Jesus, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now this, you can see, is about giving to the needy. Literally, it's about mercy giving. But as Jesus focuses on how we should give, it does, I think, apply to other kinds of giving too. So just look at this hypocrite here in the synagogue or on the street announcing their generosity with trumpets. Perhaps Jesus is making fun of what were called uh, sofa chests, these sort of great things set up in the temple, a trumpet-shaped receptacle that made a nice clanging noise when you put some coins in it. Perhaps some people at the time were using real trumpets to announce their giving. Or perhaps Jesus was just speaking figuratively. But whatever, we get the idea, I think, don't we? The the hypocritical giver, the play-acting giver, loves to be seen and gives to be seen. So imagine doing this later tonight. The collection bags are going round and the collection bag arrives at me, say, and I'm sitting down there. 
And I say loudly, stop. And the music stops. And I very conspicuously put in a huge amount of money. A giant check, perhaps. You know, one of those giant checks you see at charity fundraising events. And someone gives a, a fanfare on a trumpet. And everyone applauds. And then the music can start up again. And we carry on. I guess there are more subtle ways, though. Probably more subtle ways of giving, of being a showy giver as well. So we can let people know that we're going to some sort of charity event. Um, we're filling in a sponsorship form that someone has handed to us and um, because you know, all the amounts there seem a little small, we put in a large amount and put our name in much bigger letters. Or we might just let it slip in conversation uh, about the amounts that we do give or the fact that we give. But no, not like that, says Jesus. Do it in secret. Seen by your Father. Seeking his approval alone. Look at what he says. But when you give to the needy, says Jesus, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. It's a wonderful way of putting it, isn't it? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's not just keep it secret from others. It's almost keep it secret from yourself so that you won't be tempted even to praise yourself. Instead, just trust that your Father, who sees what you do, will reward you. It's a wonderful way of putting it, but it's, of course, very, very challenging. You see, some of us avoid this danger of being showy in our giving simply by not giving at all. And that's one way around the problem, I guess, isn't it? Our problem is not so much showy giving, sometimes it's no giving. So there's much work to be done in our hearts. And as we've seen in previous weeks, it's it's going back to the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that's always going to help us with that. It's always going to help us bring about the heart change that's needed for this. So just flick back a page and take a quick look with me. For example, if we, can, if we can rediscover what it means, chapter 5, verse 5, to be meek or, or humble, letting go of all our perceived rights, then maybe our grip on our wallets might be loosened too, might be loosened enough for us to do chapter 5, verse 7, and be merciful to those around us. You see, our Father relates to us by being merciful So blessed are the merciful. We show our connection to what our Father is doing, our relationship with our merciful Father, by being merciful. So this is how my thinking needs to change. It's not a religious burden or a religious duty. It's all about relationship. It's a a relational blessing to be merciful through giving. But going back to chapter 6 and verse 3, doing that, doing that in the right way, doing that without being showy, being secret. So on a very practical note, I want to make a a strong case, practical case, for secret giving. And one way to suggest that there's a very, very good way of doing that is by direct debit or standing order. I want to suggest that a very good way to not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing 
is to give in that kind of way. Now, some may say that giving that way doesn't feel very real. It's just something we can, we can set up in a moment by filling in a form or online or whatever and then forget about it. But actually, Jesus is saying here, it's brilliant if you can forget about it. That's good. And if it doesn't feel very real, uh, well, it's worth asking, and I ask myself this too, is that because our giving is set at such a level that it's just a bit too comfortable? You know, whack it up a bit. Soon start feeling real. And it is very, very easy to do this. We should be getting on with it, really. It's very, very easy to set up our direct debit with Tier Fund, say. Tier Fund is a gospel-based aid agency working with local churches. It's an excellent way to, give, to show mercy to, to needy people all over the world. Or if you want to think about uh, your giving as a member of this church family, um, you can pick up a, a standing order form. Looks like uh, this over at the church centre. And you can use that to set up or change your secret giving. I don't, I, I don't feel in the least bit embarrassed about mentioning these things because Jesus is telling us here that secret giving, whether it's large amounts or small amounts, secret giving is part of our relationship with Father, with our Father. It's a great thing. It's a relational thing alongside other things such as prayer. And prayer is what we're going to turn to next. Next, says Jesus, pursue a real relationship with your Father through prayer. And again, not in public. Not in such a way as to seek the approval of others, that is. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So now look at this kind of play acting of also pious, praying all the time, but also, notice, standing up to be seen to pray, or carefully arranging himself on a street corner for maximum exposure from both directions. In the east end of London, uh, where we used to live, I did see Muslims doing this kind of thing from time to time, you know, on busy pavements, getting out a prayer mat, forcing the, the crowds to file past them. Maybe they thought that it was a sort of pious thing to do, but that's not the way it looked to me. But even if we don't think that we do this kind of thing, perhaps we need to think again. If we, even if we're not jumping up in the, in the middle of a, of a meeting like this one, uh, or we're not getting out the prayer mat on a street corner, there are many more subtle ways of being showy in prayer. I speak for myself here and confess that when I'm Praying in a group, for example, I'm, I'm often, this is a terrible thing to confess really, I'm often hardly thinking about my Heavenly Father at all. You know, my thoughts are, are much more on the, on the people around me. So I've got thoughts going through my head a bit like this. I wonder if I should make it just a bit longer. Should I drop something in, and some casually drop something in about that? cross-cultural missionary that I know something about? Should I quote a Bible verse from memory? And I know this isn't just my problem. Uh, there, is, there are some people around who can give thanks before a meal and turn it into a Bible overview. 
And maybe you come in late to the meal and, and it's part way through one of these prayers and inwardly you groan, you groan because you realise they've only got as far as the flood. <laughs> so, not like that, says Jesus. But in secret, seen by your Father, seeking his approval alone. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now we need to be clear here, Jesus isn't teaching against all kinds of public prayer. Corporate prayer is a good thing to do. That's encouraged in the Bible. But he is definitely teaching against showy prayer. And again, Jesus is wonderfully practical here and with a, a touch of humour as well. Go to your room. Uh, literally, you're, you're in a room or, or even your storeroom. Go shut yourself in a cupboard and pray. That'll stop you being showy. But again, it's very challenging, isn't it? You see, even if we can see that it's, it's wrong to do these kind of showy religious prayers, uh, we find that the second part of uh, Jesus' is teaching much harder. Our problem is not so much showy prayer is, again, no prayer. And especially not enough secret prayer. So again, there's much to do in our hearts. And again, I think it's in the Beatitudes that we'll find some help. Because the Beatitudes will show us why we should pray in secret. We pray in secret because of our desperate need for mercy and forgiveness and rescue from death. We pray because we long to relate with God and be a part of what he's doing. We pray because we urgently need help doing the task that God has set us to do and help facing the persecution that will come our way. And so we are, we are humbled through that and we can begin then to, to, to rediscover the joy of pursuing an authentic relationship with our Father in heaven. What does that look like in practice? It looks like prayer. It looks like secret, private prayer, says Jesus. By its very nature, it's an, an unadulterated expression of relational trust. It is a wonderful thing to pursue. So relate to your Father and do it through prayer, says Jesus. Not like the hypocrites. And verses 7 and 8, not like the pagans who, who babble away, trying, just trying to find the right combination of words to get what they want, as if they were trying to do some sort of magic trick. Not like those people, says Jesus, but like this. But for that, you'll need to come back next week. And we'll take a much closer look at that model prayer in verses 9 through to 15, the one we call the Lord's Prayer. So that was prayer. Finally, says Jesus, pursue a real relationship with your Father through fasting. And again, I hope you're picking up the pattern here. Not in public, seeking the approval of others. Verse 16, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure or obscure their faces to show others that they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now look at this hypocrite. Oh, woe is me, humble am I, fasting for weeks now, nearly starving. 
I suppose public fasting is it's quite a big part of other religions, isn't it? But Christians can be showy fasters too. Sometimes it's blatant, sometimes it's subtle. I rather think that letting people know that you're giving up chocolate for Lent, for example, has got to be one of the saddest acts of showy piety in the whole history of religion. If you do it to me, I will not be impressed. So, not like that, says Jesus, but genuinely and in secret, seen by your Father, seeking his approval alone. But when you fast, says Jesus, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And even if you're not in the habit of putting oil on your head, which I see is not many of us tonight, I think we'll get the idea. The principle is acting so that they will be on, of, um, it will not be obvious that we're fasting. Only to our Father. Now I think at this point we may as well confront the elephant in the room straight away. In this case a relatively skinny elephant, it's been fasting, but it's still there and we still need to deal with it. You see, perhaps we're already, it may may well be that we're already following Jesus' teaching here so well, so precisely, that nobody else knows that it's going on. That is a possibility. Perhaps I'm the only person here tonight who's never really kind of properly thought this through, in which case, you know, just be patient with me for a moment. But I suspect not. It's interesting, I've been a Christian now for getting on for 20 years, but I can't remember ever hearing a sermon on fasting or encouraging fasting in any of the churches I've been in over that time. Even when people preach this passage, somehow it gets casually skipped over. So our problem may well not be so much showy fasting as in here as, again, no fasting. So here's the question uh, we need to start thinking about. Should Christians fast? Well, here Jesus seems to assume that they will, just as much as he assumes that they will give and pray. So we've had, when you give, do this. When you pray, do this. And now we've got, when you fast. Although perhaps it's not quite as simple as that, because if you, if you turn over a few pages, keep a finger in uh, Matthew chapter 6, but turn over a few pages to Matthew uh, chapter 9 and verses 14 and 15. Matthew 9, chapters, uh, verses 14 and 15. Uh, you can see there that when uh, John's disciples come and ask why Jesus' disciples are not fasting, uh, you can see that as the disciples travel around with Jesus, they're not fasting. Jesus says, fasting is for funerals. And when I'm with you, it should be more like a wedding, because I am the bridegroom. When I'm gone, then you can fast. Now, right at the end of the Gospel, that leaves things, uh, I guess, slightly open and mixed. You see, on the one hand, Jesus is with us. He promises to be with us until the end of the age. On the other, in this age, there is still death, and sin in us and all around us 
In other words, we live in a, a bittersweet age where our experience is a, is a mixture of, of joy on the one hand and mourning on the other. But because there is still mourning, I do think that may well mean that there's still a place for fasting. So what exactly is fasting? Uh, we've seen that Jesus connects it with mourning, making it something like an implied prayer for, the mercy, for mercy in the face of death. An implied prayer for mercy in the face of death. In the Old Testament, it was prescribed for the Day of Atonement, making it an implied prayer for mercy as people confess their sin. And of course, across the Bible, there are dozens of examples of this, positive examples, Moses, David, Joel, Mordecai. Then in the New Testament, Jesus himself, Paul, Barnabas. I guess we might summarize the idea like this. If I secretly deny myself the blessing of food, that's, that's a kind of way to signal to God that I truly know and understand that I don't deserve any blessing. Or it might be a way of signaling to God that I, I know and understand that those, are, those around me do not deserve blessing. It's something I might do before going on mission, as Paul and Barnabas did. It's a way, in other words, to humble myself before him as I plead for mercy. It's a, very much a kind of prayer for mercy and should be accompanied by prayers for mercy, either for myself or for those around me. Now, of course, we could do fasting in the wrong way and for all the wrong reasons. We could do it in a showy way, as Jesus tells us very explicitly not to here. Uh, It could be that for some people it it could become distorted, it become a a form of dangerous self-harm. We'd have to take care that none of us fell into that. We could do it as a kind of asceticism, using it to boost our spiritual pride or feel spiritual about ourselves. We could twist it all round and misuse it. It, It's supposed to be, as I've said, an an implied prayer for mercy, but we could twist that, turn it around, thinking that if we fast, then somehow we deserve mercy because we've done it. But I can't help thinking that if it's done it with the right attitude and the right at the right time, it could be a very good thing. So just one look back with me at the first look back with me uh, at the first four beatitudes. Just one last time. This is Matthew chapter five again, beginning of Matthew chapter five, beginning at verse three. Look at this description of an authentic disciple of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek or the humble. Blessed are those hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That is the authentic disciple, says Jesus. How do we stop those things from becoming too abstract, too theoretical? How can we make them more real, more personal? Well, as we've already been thinking about, we can give freely. That's one way to do this. And we can pray, pray especially in secret. But also, we can fast. And especially, I think, when the shadow of sin and death presses closely on us and weighs heavily upon us, we can fast. 
I began tonight with the example of Will and Krista, who were not giving their marriage relationship enough tension. Now, Paul Tripp's advice to couples like that is very sound, I think. It goes a bit like this. It's, a, it's all about not waiting for the other person to take the initiative. It's all about recognising that from where I stand, I am the biggest problem in this relationship. And so within that relationship, I, I humble myself and I take the initiative. And doing that with practical love and tenderness and service, that's his advice to couples in that situation. On Jesus' teaching tonight, we've seen something quite similar to that in some ways. This is very much about me recognising that I am my biggest, uh, uh, the biggest problem in my relationship with God, with my, my Heavenly Father. This is very much about me being humbled by that. And Jesus gives me here in chapter 6 some practical instruction on how to express my relationship in a real an authentic way, secretly, through giving and prayer and fasting. But as we finish tonight, I just want to point out one huge, absolutely vast, glaring difference. And that's because, and that's that with our relationship with God, God has already taken the initiative. His relationship dial, if you like, is already turned to max. He is already our Father in heaven. It's interesting, Jesus refers to our Father 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount, but 10 of them are in the passage that we've just been looking at. 10 of them. And in Jesus, our Father has already given us, given us freely, an abundance of mercy. Through Jesus, he has already spoken mercy and delights as we respond. In Jesus, he has already humbled himself that we might receive mercy. And so we can thank him for his patience with us. We can take comfort that it's never, never too late to respond to this and that there are practical ways in which we can do that. And Jesus is telling us here that we can begin in these areas with secret giving, secret prayer, and secret fasting. Well, let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we do want to confess first Uh, that we do rather like being showy. We do rather like the approval of those around us. Uh, But please convict us of of that. Please show us again through this passage just how silly that is, how ridiculous that is, and help us instead to have changed hearts. Hearts that are changed to long for a deep and real relationship with you. One that makes sense in secret. One that uh, brings glory to you as we respond to your mercy and do that in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.